I'm Gary Hoban, and welcome to Refinery Life Church Australia. You know, we'd love to see you. If you want to come and join us on a Sunday morning, we meet at 9.30 at 23 T.E. Peters Drive at Broad Beach. We'd love to have you there. You know, if you're looking for a new church, there's only a couple of things you really need to be looking for. It's not what sort of coffee they sell or you know, how great their kids' program is. It, the things you should be looking for are, are the people friendly, which they are at the refinery, and the second thing is, are they preaching the Word of God? And I can assure you that the Word of God is preached. So come and join us. We'd love to see you. There's plenty of room for everyone. But join me before we go any further in the Lord's Prayer. You know, this is another Tuesday night teaching. We're talking about the prophets again, the minor prophets. But when the disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray, and notice they said, teach us how to pray, not teach us how to get people healed or teach us how to prophesy teach us how to preach. They said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said to them, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. His is the kingdom, the power and the glory, not us. The Old Testament prophets were primarily foretellers rather than foretellers. They communicated the message of God to the needs of the day. That's what our prophets should be doing now, not handing out little fluffy messages that you're going to be blessed and all that sort of thing, because all the blessings come from obedience. But they should be speaking the word of the day. And listen to the major message of the Minor Prophets is the title of the series we're working through. And this is an extension of a message we did a couple of years ago, or a series we did a couple of years ago, which was the minor message, sorry, the major message of the Minor Prophets. But now we need to listen to them. And today we're talking about Habakkuk. And the just shall live by faith. The text we're concentrating on is Habakkuk 2.4. It says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And the scriptures we're working through, there's quite a few of them, so bear with me. If you've got your Bible, open it up. You may need to go back to these later on and just read them again because they're important scriptures. It's Habakkuk 1, 1 through to Habakkuk 2, 4. Let's read them together. The prophet questions God's judgments. That's the, that's the title of this section. Verse 1, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. <coughs> Excuse me. The prophet's question, what was it? O oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. Verse 3 here, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife. And contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. I'll just pause there for a moment. Doesn't this sound like it could be our times now? The wicked surround the righteous. But what's the Lord's reply? Verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. I will work a work in your days. 
which you would not believe, though it were told to you. Verse 6. This is happening now, people. Verse 6. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. <coughs> Verse 9. They all come from, for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earth and mounds and seize it. We're in verse 11 now. Then his mind changes and he transgresses. He commits offence, ascribing to this power, sorry, ascribing this power to his God. We're sort of seeing that now, aren't we? The pharmaceutical companies, the doctors, have become God for many, many people. Our governments have become God for many people. But the prophet has a second question. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. <laughs> Don't you love that? Verse 13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil you, and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And this is still Habakkuk's question to God. Why do men, sorry, why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? We're in verse 15 now. They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? What a question. Has anyone actually asked God what's happening in this time? Then it talks about the just shall live by faith. I will stand watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer when I am corrected. What's your answer going to be when you're corrected by the Lord? The just shall live by faith. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. This is actually a word that myself and Pastor Amanda had a few years ago. Make the vision. Sorry, write the vision and make it plain. Verse 3. For the vision is yet to be for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Verse 4. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, and the just shall live by his faith. All those proud people walking around beating their chests at the moment. Their soul is not upright in them. Some of them call themselves Christians. But the just shall live by faith. Praise God. A prophet 
similar to Jeremiah. Habakkuk was a prophet during fateful days for Judah. There was a lot going on. Nineveh had been destroyed. If you notice, most of the minor prophets we've spoken about all have something to do with Nineveh. They're, they've got warnings for Nineveh and Assyria and the empire. Nineveh had been destroyed. And Babylon was ascending as the dominating power in the world. Josiah, Judah's last good king, was dead. And his wicked son, Jehoiakim, was on the throne. Only two or three decades of Judah's existence as a nation remained when Habakkuk began to write the vision and make it plain. Habakkuk was one of three prophets used of God to pronounce the doom of the three outstanding enemies of God's people. In the prophecy of Obadiah, the fate of Edom was sealed. Nahum told the bell over Assyria that they were finished. And God showed Habakkuk that Babylon was digging her own grave. Hence the focus on Habakkuk's problem and prophecy is Babylon. That's who he's talking to. All the prophets were conscious of divine inspiration. We need to see some more of that today. If you want to call yourself a prophet, make sure what you speak is from God. You don't have a word for everybody because that's not God. The Old Testament prophets, their work demonstrates this. Yet this does not erase their individuality, but leaves plenty of room for it. Habakkuk is unique in this respect. Unlike the other prophets, he does not address either his own countrymen or a foreign people. His words are for God alone. He's asking God the questions. It's autobiographical in nature. His prophecy is primarily concerned with solving a problem. His inability to understand God's government of the nations vexed his own sensitive soul. I know how he feels. When I look at what our governments are doing to people around the world, I'm confused what God's doing, but I know it's his will. I know it's part of his plan. And obviously familiar with the work of Abraham and Moses, Habakkuk was bewildered by the third book, that was constantly before his eyes. The book of life. He was seeing life play out right in front of him. And he was bewildered by it. Have you been like that recently? Have you been watching what's happening in the world and perhaps to your friends and some of your own family and thinking, what's going on? It doesn't make sense. But praise God that he's still in control. He's still on the throne. To Habakkuk, the promises of God on one hand and the experience of life on the other seemed hopelessly at odds. Why did the book of life seem to contradict the book of God? The trial of Habakkuk's faith was showing, it was sparing out of the time, it was spurring along. In chapter 2, Habakkuk got this answer in the keynote of the whole book expressed by the words, the just shall live by faith. You know, as a minister here in Australia, I get messages daily, two, three, four messages a day from ministries in, in other countries asking for money. We're a small church. We don't have excess finances. God provides everything we need. But the response is an easy one. The just should live by faith. If you're doing this for God, he'll cover the expenses. 
And so significant are these words that they are quoted three times in the New Testament. Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. So those people who are living in the New Testament and don't think they need to read the Old, you do. And those people who are stuck in the Old Testament, you need to move forward into the New Testament as well. Luther made them the watchword of the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk found faith to be the golden key that brought deliverance to the believer. The believer that was imprisoned in the dungeon of doubt. All they need is faith. That's the key. In his three chapters, he goes from a sob to a song. From a cry of doubt to a rapturous song of trust. It's only three chapters. Three progressive steps correspond exactly with the chapter division. First one is in chapter 1. We see the problem for faith. The prophet stated in his, in his problem in Habakkuk 1-2, which says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. These verses are a complaint regarding the internal conditions in Judah. Habakkuk's problem was God's silence, his inactivity, and apparent unconcern. Have you ever noticed that sometimes God's silent? You know, we, we watched a teaching last night, myself and Pastor Amanda, and it was, you know, there's 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New, where God didn't speak. He was silent. How would Habakkuk have handled that? How would we handle that if God didn't talk to us for 400 years? Violence abounded. Lawlessness was rife. Blatant evils defied all of the protests of God's prophets. And God seemed to be doing nothing. With implicit faith in God's goodness came the difficulty of reconciling a bad world with a good God. We have a bad world still, but we still have a good God. But God never stifles a sincere questioner. If you ask him a question sincerely, he will answer you. He gives more life. The prophet's query was, answered by a word from God. It's in Habakkuk 1, 5, 6. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days for which you would not believe, though it were told to you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, there's an answer for you. Probably not the one Habakkuk was looking for. To Habakkuk, the solution was worse than the problem. The punishment coming to Judah was deserved, but why would God punish Judah with, by means of a people that were far more ruthless than Judah themselves? Let me tell you, I am absolutely convinced that what will come out of COVID at some stage, because there's still financial issues for a lot of people that haven't played out yet, but they will over the next couple of years. This will be the start of a reformation for the church. As people start coming back, they start turning back to God. Mark my words, it's going to happen. There'll be a reformation, then there'll be a revolution. And then when people are repenting, there'll be a revival. Now for Habakkuk, this seemed hard to reconcile with his belief in God's righteous government over the nations of the world. The moral problem before the prophet 
was how God could silently look upon wrong and inhumanity. <coughs> Excuse me. It was not ease, but it was intensified by God's answer. The prophet appealed to God concerning his problem. Look at Habakkuk 1.12. It's the second question that he asks. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. Chaldea was only God's instrument that he was going to use. The prophet was overwhelmed. It was not that the punishment outweighed the offence. It was rather that the Holy One, righteous through his judgments, although his judgments were, should permit a heathen nation to work its cruel will upon the elect. That was his problem. Verse 13 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Habakkuk was to learn that chastising, the chastening that he was going through, is not necessarily a denial of the divine love. It may actually be proof of it. If you're upset with your pastor or your church because they're trying to correct you, you think they don't love you, maybe that is them showing love, trying to get you back on the narrow path. By the fires of war, the nation was to be refined, yet like gold in a crucible, merely the dross is consumed. The dross rises to the top and is scraped off and leaves the pure gold. Keeping this in mind will help us understand not only the times of the prophet, but also our own times. Let me tell you, many of us need correction. Many of us need correction. In chapter 2, a second point today, we see the pledges of faith. Habakkuk was decided to await on God's word. It's always a good thing to do. Wait on what God said. If you think you've got a great idea to do something else, let me encourage you, do whatever the last thing God said was until he speaks to you to do something else. He said in Habakkuk 2.1, this is where it starts talking about the just shield by faith. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch and see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Habakkuk standing there waiting for correction. He's waiting to hear what God is going to say. Isolation does not always yield a full answer to life's question. But there is such thing as the detachment of the exalted life. Ministry, if you're doing it properly, is a lonely walk. You have to detach yourself from people and situations sometimes. And so it is here. The prophet's vision was wonderful. It's offering a solution, not in the logical sense, but in the spiritual sense, a solution to intelligible faith. In this chapter, God gave two great pledges. In verse 4 we read, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. These words look beyond the body to the soul. As the first half of the sentence would indicate, the word soul means the deeper sense in which we are to, to read the latter half. 
The just shall live by faith. These words look beyond the outward to the inward, beyond the physical to the spiritual, beyond the present into the future, and beyond the immediate to the ultimate. God's estimate of the Chaldean was correct. Though God used him to chastise his people, the Chaldean's soul was all wrong, and he himself would be brought to woe in the end. But the just shall never perish. We're looking at eternal life, people. We've got to understand that. In Habakkuk 2.14 we read, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen to that. This word of Habakkuk is one of the most prolific in the Old Testament, though it must be read in the light of the new. We are to grasp its full meaning. Those who by faith in Christ are justified or made righteous do live by their faith in that they receive new spiritual life here and now. Far too many Christians are waiting to get to heaven when they could have it now. They could have that new life now. These words have not yet been fulfilled, but await the return of Christ to this earth and the consummation of his kingdom. The controversy of history will be resolved in the vindication of the right and true. You will be vindicated if you're living by faith. God's word through Habakkuk is in Habakkuk 2.3. For the vision is yet for the appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now, chapter 3, this is a slightly longer message today, but it's an important one. Because, again, Habakkuk is talking about stuff that was going on in his time. But they're still happening now. So in chapter 3, we see the products of faith. In this chapter, we begin a prayer of Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. There are three parts of the prayer. Three products produced by faith. The prayer begins with an appeal to God to grant a gracious revival in the midst of the years. The prayer does not suggest time limits on God, however. We shouldn't do that. Lord, if you just do this for me by this date, you know, I will... Don't do that. Habakkuk's prayer doesn't do that. But before his ultimate purpose for history has worked out to its final fulfilment, will he in his mercy and grace grant revival to his people? From verse 3 to verse 15, there is a glory in God's mighty doings in the past. This includes God's coming forth for the emancipation of Israel. His marvels from the time of Exodus onwards. And here there's two products of faith. Praise for the past and confidence for the future. I thank God for everything he's put me through. And I thank him because I have confidence in what he's got for me in the future. There's one more. In verses 16 to 19, we have a, a postlude in which faith soars on wings above all doubts and fears. Though the prophet be brought to utmost destruction, he still says in Habakkuk 3.18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in my God of my salvation. Do we do that? Do we rejoice in the Lord? Do we take joy 
in the God of our salvation? Because we should be. How can you defeat a faith like that? No matter what's going on, there's joy. No matter what's going on, you've got ultimate faith in Christ. You can't defeat that. As we finish up today, the applicable message of this prophecy is clear. Faith had its problems then, and it has its problems now. If Habakkuk's times seem draped in darkness, even more so are our times. Think about that. But the book tells us not to judge merely by the appearances of the hour. God has given us great promises. Some of you may be thinking, but God's not moving. He's letting all this happen around us. He does a lot of stuff in the background that we don't see and we don't give him credit for. He is working out great purposes. My encouragement to you this week is wait for him. Wait for him. And as I do every week, I want to encourage you to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us than we can get from just going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because our God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him. And if you allow Him, He can make you whole, spirit, soul, and body. And you're important to God. You know that already. Otherwise, you would not be listening to this. But you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer, we believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and need prayer for, we want to be here for you. Even if you just want to say hi, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And we're believing that 2022, this year, is a year of repentance and blessings. So if you want to see those blessings, let me encourage you to start repenting. Not to me, but to God. Until next time, stay in the blessing.